Well, we, we've been in this series for a while. This is week number five about relationships. It's all about relationships. So week five, talking about Christian relationships and the just relational ministry. And uh, just, I don't know about you, but in where our country is and the hate and the division going on, I think we need an extra dose of love to be poured out of the body of Christ. Amen? And I just believe, you know, it's a strategic time for that as I flip through Christian radio, Christian television. It's in the messaging right now for the church to become light and salt, for the church to be filled with healthy relationships and the love of God. And so we're, we're going that way again this week, week five. How many are on social media at all? Sometimes Twitter or your Facebook or whatever. There's quite a few of us, not all of us. But there's this new uh, feature over the last several years, which is unfriending somebody. And so when things get rough, when things get sideways, when things get challenging, we have the option in social media to click a button and to unfriend somebody. And th- that's, that's kind of foreign for some of us as believers, especially if you've been around and we've been talking over the last few weeks what Jesus said about going the extra mile in friendships, about turning the other cheek when somebody hits you this way, turn the other cheek, and about forgiveness when Jesus told us forgive. They said, how many times do we forgive? And he just didn't say a couple of times. He said, you forgive 70 times 7. That's a bunch, 490 times. So we're, we're seeing Jesus raise the bar Concerning attitudes in our relationships and how long we endure, you know, Scripture commands us, bear one another's burdens, and so sometimes we're, we're living with that, like, how, how much do we bear? How, how far do we go? Anybody ever ask those questions in relationships? And now there's this idea of unfriending, and so I want to talk today about just a, a, a difficult part for me, because I'm kind of a grace and mercy guy, and so, um, you know, trying to hang in there with people and help people, but... You've experienced it, and I've experienced it, when friendships, especially certain friendships, they go from healthy to unhealthy, and then they can go from unhealthy, and the term toxic is thrown out quite a bit, where it begins to poison us, and so how do you know when to let go, and and how do you handle those things? And believe me, I've been asking those same questions in ministry for a long time, because I ventured to guess I spend probably a third of my time dealing with relationships outside of our church. And some of those are from people that used to be here or friends of people that used to be here or people I know through our association that I'm helping as regional director. And so I I get in relational situations quite a bit where I have to discern, and it's important for us all to discern, like, is, is this relationship, what's it supposed to be? Is it supposed to grow into something else? Or, or, or what's my boundaries around this relationship, God, so it would be healthy? And you'd be in it, and you'd be working in it, and you'd help me grow, and you'd be helping, using me to help the other person grow. And then sometimes they just start going different directions. Am I just talking to myself, or anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? So, so here's a question, relational dilemma. When God wants to bless you, how does he do it? He sends the right people into your life. When the devil wants to destroy you, how does he do it? He sends the wrong people in your life. And wisdom is knowing who sent who. And so sometimes for us, it's discerning the relationships that are around us and the relationships that were in my life for this season, but now I'm in a new season. God, how do I discern this transition and 
and, and how do I do it? And so I, I want to talk a little about those things this morning. And believe me, you just Google that, boundaries and friendships, and you can Google just information about changing relationships and seasons of life. There's, there's a millions of little tidbits. You can go on Pinterest and you can just get little quips for days as far as how to manage relationships. So I have about 30 minutes to talk about it. And I know I'm just going to scratch the surface, but hopefully it'll help stir some of us up concerning healthy things and unhealthy. So when we want to define healthy and unhealthy, I think we got to go to the Word of God. And in 1 Corinthians 13, here's where the Apostle Paul describes what healthy love is to the church and then we can see the opposite of it, what might tend to become unhealthy. So in 1 Corinthians 13, describes love as patient and kind, and it's not jealous, it's not boastful or arrogant, doesn't act unbecomingly, doesn't seek its own, it's not easily provoked, and it doesn't keep score. How many have ever heard those at a wedding? Seems so idealistic. It's in my wedding vows I do with other people. Love is patient and kind, and it's true. It's not supposed to be jealous, not boastful or arrogant. It's not acting unbecomingly. Uh, the Apostle Paul describes what godly agape love should be like, and then if you look at it, if that's healthy love, then what does unhealthy love start looking like? Well, if love is supposed to be patient, unhealthy love is impatient. It's supposed to be kind, but I've watched people just turn angry and rude to people close to them, people they care about. And love's not supposed to be jealous, but I've seen love become really jealous and controlling, especially sometimes when people are dating and they're wondering, is this a healthy boyfriend or a healthy girlfriend? And, and, uh, but they always want to know, who are you texting? Who are you talking to? Who, th th this jealousy thing becomes controlling and, and really stifles love in a relationship. And it becomes to a, a point where it could even turn toxic. You know, healthy love, it, it's not boastful or arrogant, but unhealthy love, it can be really narcissistic, it can become self-seeking, where it's always all, all about one of the persons, one of the partners in the relationship. And it's, it's not a giving love, it's a self-seeking thing. You know, healthy love, it doesn't act unbecomingly, but I've seen unhealthy love throw tantrums when it doesn't get its way. And, and does threatening things and just blows up and cuts people off and threatens to quit. And it's the opposite of what healthy love is supposed to look like. Uh, uh, healthy love is not seeking its own, kind of similar to what we just shared about, but it's it, it, unhealthy love becomes selfish and self-focused. And it's kind of about me and my needs and ignores yours. And it's not easily provoked. I've seen unhealthy love escalate super quick into conflict seen people just discussing things and somebody gets a different opinion and all of a sudden it just escalates immediately into conflict. They live in a hair trigger, just, you know, where you got to walk on eggshells, becomes unhealthy. Healthy love is not keeping score all the time. What you did to me and what happened to me yesterday and last year and whenever you said that two years ago, remember, and it's not keeping score, and, uh, but unhealthy love does. And I know... Uh, Gail and Robert Downey and their team, they got an ongoing marriage class. We're trying to develop a healthy marriage ministry here, so you can just go take classes ongoing for tune-up, for encouragement, to help your home relationships, because home relationships are so vital to the kingdom of God, especially in the culture we're in. The marriages stay strong. Strong marriages make strong families. Strong families make strong churches and strong kingdom communities, and so we need to stay strong in those things. Amen? 
So we have healthy versus unhealthy, but just going through and looking at some of the literature, here's another checklist between healthy friendships and unhealthy. Healthy friendships are supportive, but unhealthy friendships are blindly supportive. And the difference is then sometimes people get frustrated and say, I, oh, I'm just going to let her do what she wants to or him do what he wants to because if I say anything, he gets mad. I'm just going to support him. And if he makes a mistake, he makes a mistake. Well, that can be really unhealthy when there's not boundaries, when you don't care enough to say, hey, warning, you go that way and, and it could cost you. So healthy relationship, down that trail before, I've been that path before and it's cost me. So healthy relationships are supportive, but, but they also have truth mixed in them. Healthy relationships stand behind you, but unhealthy relationships are always fighting your battles for you. And some of us guys who want to be rescuers, we've gone into relationships where we went, we went to rescue the damsel in distress, and we're flexing because we're the man on the hour of power, and, and, and we, we're going to get you, we're going to fight your battles, we're going to get you out of this mess, we're going to get you out of these things, but that, that's not always the healthiest things to do. As we're raising kids... Especially, we got to teach them how to fight their own battles. We're going to stand with you, and here's strategies on how you're going to get through it, but we're going to be with you. You're going to fight the battle. We're going to stand alongside of you. Healthy relationships and encourages you to grow. Healthy relationships, you're not trying to hold back your partner or spouse. You're not jealous over their opportunities, their promotions, their open doors, they're going back to school. You're, you're, you're not jealous of those things. Healthy relationships, you, you, you don't criticize them. You want them to grow. You want them to keep moving forward. Healthy relationships are pushing you out of your comfort zone, but they're not pressuring you to do something you don't want to do. And so there's, there's that fine balance between, hey, man, just take a risk. Step out. Go for it. I could see you doing that. I think you could excel at that if you just take a risk versus trying to push somebody in a direction that they're not wanting to go. Healthy relationships are transparent and honest, unhealthy or manipulative and deceitful. So I did this. I put Jesus at the top. What do you think? Do you think Jesus is supportive in relationships? He want to support you? Anybody? Yeah, I don't think he'd be blindly supportive because he wasn't to his disciples. He warned them. He told them about certain decisions and certain things, certain attitudes. I believe he'd stand behind you, but Scripture says he also causes us with the armor of God to fight our own battles. He teaches us how to war. He gives us strategies how to be victorious. And there's times he does fight battles, and I'm so grateful for that, where I say, God, I don't know how to get through this. I don't know how to fix this, and God shows up, and before you know it, boom, it's over. I'm glad for those things, but there's also times where he, he's going to teach you how to walk through it and how to win and how to have strategies with a good attitude on getting through things. Amen? How many believe he encourages us to grow? I'm just so glad for grace in my life where God just, even when you make mistakes, how the voice of a father says, you tried. You tried. Now do it differently. Do it again another way. And that he's with us. And he, he's not the voice inside your head criticizing and judging you. God's a father, a good father. He wants life for you. He has a future for you, a hope for you. Amen? And, and I'm glad he pushes us outside of the comfort zone. Peter, out of the boat. Come out here. Come on. Is that you, Peter? Okay. Jesus, Jesus tries to get us out of our comfort zone. That's why so many times you read in the Gospels where he tells his disciples, 
Oh, you of little faith. And he wasn't criticizing them. That, that word oligiopistus means you have underdeveloped faith. He's saying, trust me, believe me, get out of your comfort zone, walk with me. I, I'm going to take some limits off your life. I'm going to cause you to excel and grow, but you just got to get out of the boat. Amen? How many believe Jesus is transparent and honest? He's not a manipulator or deceitful. And that's why we can trust him. We can learn love from him. We can have healthy relationships because of him. That's why we looked at this a couple weeks ago in John 15, 15. Let's read it together. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I've made known to you. He invites us into healthy relationship, healthy friendship with him. Aren't you glad for that? Well, how about when things get toxic? And that word toxic gets thrown around a lot. Oh, that's a toxic relationship or toxic this or toxic that. And to what's toxic to some people might not necessarily be toxic to the other person. And so I, I just encourage us to, when we talk about this, don't listen to this message for other people. It'd be so easy to do that. I know who you're talking about, Pastor Mike. Go on. Mm, mm, next door, and those can, no, no, first, I got to ask myself, do I have attitudes that could be toxic to other people, and I, I want to grow in my relationships, is there negativity or critical stuff that gets in me that I start spewing on other people that, that could hinder them, it could put limits on them, could undermine their joy or their faith, and so when things get toxic, that word really is poisonous, and so Poison starts coming in and distorts life. It starts destroying life. Toxic relationships are those that really begin to take hope out of you. They begin to take your, your joy and, and begin to just leave a bitterness in your heart and your soul. And uh, I, I have a couple relationships. They're mainly by texting people out of this area that I knew were in our church. And one in particular, he, he's fought psychiatric issues and he's gone through a lot, but, you know, he'll text me. It's usually Saturday night when I'm studying or sometime or, or Wednesday mornings or this text will come through. And it's often is just so like filled with victim mindset, pity. And I try and text back and, and texting, how you many know when you try sometimes texting, man, it just, it goes from bad to worse. People, you don't see their faces, you're not understanding. And so pretty soon it derails and and I, I try sometimes to just to keep it light, but you try and give advice, and they don't want advice. They want what pity, I guess. And I can do that a little bit, but after a while, it's, I'm not going to pity you anymore. Come on, get up. Come on, get up. It's time to get up. You've been doing this too long. And, and, and sometimes that, that thing that turns toxic where you start resenting, and you, you don't have just the joy of helping people, you, you start feeling this like, will this thing ever turn? Are they ever going to get it? And it begins to suck life out of you, suck peace from you. I know I'm just talking to myself up here. Does anybody get it a little bit? And so, so when it becomes toxic, I'm not just saying that we write stuff off right away as toxic. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I'm not going to help you anymore. No, I'm saying there's a discernment that has to come where you say, God, is this healthy for me and where you're taking me and what you're doing in this season of my life? And, and I, am I really helping them by this thing going on the same way it has been going on? And so Scripture warns us right out against certain types of people, and we can't unpack this this morning, but here, and I'll, I'll give you copies of my notes if anybody wants to look at some of these in more detail. But Scripture warns us against the violent person or the wicked person or the gossip 
Proverbs 16.30, there's a warning about the perverse person that twists things. Uh, those who engage in deeds of darkness, Ephesians 5.11, Proverbs 2, j- just warns us about not you know, staying with those people, not in, uh, hanging around those people. How many know that bad company corrupts good morals, right? Uh, scripture warns us in Proverbs about the adulterous woman, and that could apply to a man. In Proverbs 2, it just tells us to flee, to run. And then in the second Timothy, we unpacked that a couple weeks ago about the season we're in where people become lovers of themselves and lovers of money, and there's certain attitudes that get on people, and Scripture warns us about separating ourselves from them, not in just critical self-righteous judgment, but for the idea twofold that to protect our own heart, but also just to uh, let them see and know that this isn't acceptable for me. I- I'm not going that way. These aren't trash cans. This isn't a garbage dump. That, that I, 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 you know, as a man of God, as a child of God, as people of God, there can be boundaries in what we allow and, and how it affects our heart. Amen? Scripture tells us, watch over your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of God. I know there's a fine line here between what we receive and what we uh, put boundaries around, but I want us to grow in those things. Amen? Amen? Okay, when do we cut off friends? Well, I put number one, when they're ongoing, say ongoing, ongoing influences turning us away from God. They're ongoing influence. I'm not talking about showing up at a family party and there's a couple jokes happening or the guys are going on a drinking trip to to Ensenada and, you know, those kind of things. They call it fishing trips, but they're really drinking trips with fishing poles. And and we had those in our family. And so um, not talking about those things, but their ongoing influence is taking you away from God. And this is just a tragic case, King Solomon, who God blessed abundantly. You know, he's David's son. Uh, He built this magnificent temple, I mean, world-renowned wisdom. And it says here in 1 Kings 11, and this is in verse 1, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. He married women from Moab and Ammon and Edom and Sidon and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they'll turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. This blows my mind. He had 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines. Never mind. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. They did. They turned his heart away from the Lord. So you read 1 Kings 11 and 1 Kings 12. And what happened in there, not only did they turn his heart away from the Lord, it says God was grieved because of it, and he raised up old enemies even against Solomon. Guys that had dealt with David, his his father, I mean, these are old enemies. All of a sudden, they got aroused against Solomon, and what was the 12 tribes soon began, became, God says, I'm going to remove 10 tribes, left Israel with two, and in the end, really only one tribe following God because of David's covenant because of their willingness or unwillingness to follow God, but to listen and to be influenced by people taking away from God. This is uh, the cuckoo's nest. This is in Costa Mesa. It's an old picture. This is during the punk era. I was around there during the rock and roll era. But I had Lee and a friend named Lee, a friend named Marty, and a friend named, I'll just call him Mike D. And uh, these guys I went to elementary school with, Catholic schoolboys. And we kind of grew up, and then high school, they came and went. Lee Beebe moved to Big, uh, Big Bear, was in a skiing accident and messed up his head and never quite fully recovered. But I'll tell you what, when I got 18, 17, 18, 19, they, they were the ones that 
You know, if they called up, I knew we were going to be in trouble that night. We were, we were going places, and I knew what we were going for, just to party and to hang out. And Sparrow was hanging out in the cuckoo's nest once in a while back then, and it was just not a good place. Actually, it was in that place, the cuckoo's nest, where I heard God one night. This is before I gave my life to Jesus. I was in the back of the cuckoo's nest and just feeling alone and feeling like, gosh. And I remember saying this, there's got to be more to life than this. Just under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, there's got to be more than life than this. There's got to be more to life than this. And it wasn't soon after that I came to Jesus. But when I came to Jesus, there were certain friends, we weren't going the same direction. They, they still wanted to take me to the cuckoo's nest. And Jesus had another plan, another place he wanted to take me. And so you, you got to make decisions and choices, right? Sometimes you just have to say, for this season, this is the direction I'm going. And these are the people I'm walking with and running with. Number two, when do we cut off friends? When their behavior becomes abusive, they're leaving wounds on our bodies or souls. Proverbs 12, 18, there's one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And so even after last service, I had a couple people coming up to talk to me just about some of the abusive things that have been going on or had been going on and just wanting prayer to break those things. As a father, you know, someone might say, well, you know, doesn't God want us to put up with some of that? And, and yeah, there's probably is a season when you're praying and you, you're waiting for change. But I tell you what, when there's abuse going on, as a father, I would not leave my daughter or my son in abuse. I'd say separate yourself, come out from them, give them space to change, turn them over to me, let me do that. But you, you protect yourself. You go to a place of healthiness, you go to a place of wholeness, and, and you rest in me and allow me to work in that other situation. Sometimes people stay a long time, and I've watched it get dangerous, and I, I've watched it turn just destructive to people's souls and hearts. And you know what this scripture also says about millstones? We read that in Luke 17 where Jesus said it would be better to have a millstone hung, tied around your neck and cast in the water than to stumble one of these little ones. You know, a, a lot of the stumbling comes from abuse that's spoken over kids and spoken over children and our word curses we put on them. God takes that super, 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 super seriously. So you got to be careful with our words, amen? And part of our jobs as elders, leaders in, in the body of Christ is to build people up, encourage people, but also to protect them from the abuse that can come that, that I believe breaks Father's heart, amen? This is just a little quip I saw. Don't mind me. I'm waiting for a narcissist to change and apologize and validate their, the pain they caused. And sometimes self-focused people, narcissists, they won't. They, won't, they don't get it. They're blind because it's about them. And so people hang in things because they're being abused or accused or assaulted verbally. And they, they hang in there with it because in some people's mind, this is what I deserve. This is all that I can have. And I'd say, in Jesus, be free. You, 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 there's more for you in Christ. You have a good, good father now who's got a good, good plan for you. Amen? Number three, when we sense God is dealing with them and we're getting in the way. When do we cut off friends? I've had this happen because God's dealt with me about showing unsanctified mercy. You see people going through tough stuff and you just want them to, man, I wish you could just get out of that. I wish that legal thing would be go away, that you wouldn't have to go to court over this or do time over this. There's, there's things we want to deliver people from, but sometimes it's the very thing God's dealing with them in to change them. And I had this with my older brother, Bill. He, he, uh, he was seven years older than me. 
And so when I was in high school, he got drafted, and he ended up in Colorado during the Vietnam War. So he had a desk job in Colorado, much different than fighting in the jungles of Vietnam. But what happened, he started drinking, and he got into a marriage that went bad. And, and here I turned 21, and I'm in touch with him, and I heard that his marriage is a mess. He's drinking. He spends weekends. He's still working, and, but weekends drunk. So Easter break, I get a, a car. I drive out to Colorado and talk to him about coming home. And so he left, came back to California. And it's hard when you want something more for people than they want for themselves. Have you ever been there? You, you just want them to make the right decisions. You just want them to turn away and give it up and get right. And so several times, you know, we, we would try, and he would do good for a while, and then he'd go out and binge drink. And he, because of being a diabetic as well, he drove his car through the front of Denny's restaurant, drunk, and a di- diabetic coma. I mean, there was things happening where pretty soon we had to make a decision. Hey, Bill, you got to distance yourself from mom. You're driving her nuts. It's affecting her health. You got to stay away from mom. And so making those decisions on Thanksgiving, carrying his Thanksgiving dinner over to Teewinkle Park and giving him Thanksgiving dinner while we were back at my mom's house was one of the most toughest things I've ever done. But I knew we had to do it. That was the only way that he was going to deal with it and he was going to get things right. And he did, praise God. And he came up here and he went through sober living. He was sober five years before he went home to be with the Lord. And I'm so grateful he's with Jesus now and old things are passed away. And, but in the middle of it, some of those decisions were super, super hard. How, how strong do we make him toe the line? Where do we put the boundary? And uh, we were doing it. We prayed, and we felt like the Lord said, do it this way, and we did. And when you do it God's way, guess what? You get God's results. Amen? Amen. Well, Henry Cloud said this, and Cloud and Townsend, they're Christian psychologists, writers. He said, we change our behavior when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. Consequences give us the pain that motivates us to change. And and often I've seen that unless people come to the end of jobs or relationships or marriages or kids leaving or they they won't be motivated to change. We don't have to be that way. Amen? Psalm 32 says, don't be like the horse that only gets directed or led when it's got a, a, a lead in its mouth. No, you and me can be led by the Spirit of God and make changes because of a relationship with God. Amen? You, you can learn to hear His voice and follow the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit to make changes before you have to go through disaster. And I'm glad He's in our life to lead us and guide us. Jesus promised He would. Amen? Number four. When the amount of spiritual emotion and energy required to maintain a relationship is robbing us from a clearer call. And I've had this conversation, I've experienced it myself, when God gives you people and certain assignments and things that you're supposed to be focusing on, and often there's other people that come around that will detract. They don't want to get well. They are just really looking for prayer and pity, but they, they don't have the strength or they don't want to make the hard decisions to get better. And you feel like, I, I'm putting so much energy here, but this is really what God has called me to. And those are tough choices to make when you say, this is my priority because God's given me this priority. And some of these things are, 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 are just stealing joy and peace. And I got to watch over my own heart. And so sometimes those relationships are tough and how we do it needs to be spirit-led too and gracious, but, but there's times, I mentioned that guy on the phone, he's coming through town, 
and he wants to meet here in a few weeks. And I said, I'll see if I can work it out. Well, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I said, well, no, this is, this is my priority. And on those days, this is what I take care of on those days. And so try to be clear with him and try to be uh, affirming. But on the other hand, when, when I only got this much spiritual energy and time and that, you got to be focused on what God's called us to do. Amen? And, and be clear enough and strong enough and available enough and focused enough to take care of those projects that are priorities rather than sometimes being pulled in these different directions and then feeling guilty about it. And so Townsend and Cloud wrote a great book on boundaries, and it's been rewritten. And there's some good information there on boundaries. If people need some help in making those decisions, I highly recommend that. You can find lots of it online without even having to purchase the material. But just learning how to set good boundaries will help us with our relationship with God, and it'll help them as well. Amen? Uh, And sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes they need help. When we lay down boundaries, it starts helping other people. It helps other people get redirected and refocused. And so it's important to know when to do that and how to do that. And number five, when we lose our peace and it becomes increasingly difficult to recover. You know, peace is big in the kingdom of God. Peace is big. Having peace, I mean, it's the fruit of the Spirit. What? Love, peace, joy? It's up there. Jesus said, I came to give you peace. My peace I leave with you not as the world gives. The concept of shalom in the Old Testament, of wholeness and well-being and and, and a state that everything's okay, to to have that in our heart and our soul, just to be people of peace is huge. So much so when Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, he sends out a disciple. He said, when you come to a city, kind of release your peace. And if a man of peace or a person of peace is there, they'll receive it and you'll know. Stay there where, where peace is given and peace is received. A Philippian says, peace is the umpire in our heart. It's the decision maker in our heart. Do I have peace about this or no peace? And so being able to live in peace and have your sense of peace is huge in the kingdom of God. You know, here's a promise from Scripture. Romans 14 says, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and things by which one may edify another. So having peace in our homes is huge. We, we want our home to be a place of peace and not chaos. So that's why certain things happen or not allowed. We, we want peace in our home. Amen? I want peace in this home. And so I, I got to do the things that keep peace in this home. But when you're around relationships that are constantly stealing peace and you can't get it back and it's constantly turmoil, sometimes it's just a time to say, I, I just need a break from this. My peace is important to me and I, I don't know why it is, but when we're around each other, that peace gets stolen and I just got to distance myself for a season and, uh, and just get my peace back from God before I can move forward in these things. Is that okay? Does that, that, that make sense? Stand with me and let's wrap this up right now. Here, here's a promise from Psalm 1. I love this promise. And, and it just talks about the blessing. Say blessing. Do, do you believe God wants you to live blessed? Yeah, I, I do. I really believe he didn't bring us into the earth just to say, I'm going to give you a hard time and a miserable life. No, I, I believe God wants us to be blessed. And this is Psalm 1, the very first Psalm, the very first word in the first Psalm, he said, blessed is the one, come on, read with me, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, 
but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither Whatever they do prospers. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for our church. Shouldn't be that a good goal for us? And it's not that we isolate ourselves from people. And, and you know, I've been sharing on that and preaching the balance of this, that, you know, we go out of way to help. But, man, for me, I, I, I got to look at this and say, God, well, who am I walking with and where are they going and what do you have for me, God? And give me wisdom and strength to keep on the course that you have for me. And I want that to be a fruitful place. Amen. When the wrong people leave your life, the right things start happening. So, Father, I thank you and praise you again for our church family. Thank you for our relationships. Thank you for helping us grow in our relationship, our, our relationship with you, but relationships with each other in a, in a culture that seems pretty hostile right now and pretty caustic and uh, hateful and uh, even hate some of our values and things we stand for. But God, I, I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd help us be people of peace and uh, people of love, God, and people of mercy, but also people that know where we're going and, and being able to rightly evaluate relationships and friendships around us to keep us strong and to keep us right and to keep us fruitful and productive. And I, I just lift up those that themselves might say, you know, I've been a little toxic myself. I've been angry and maybe frustrated and, and just quick to fly off the handle. And as we've already given lots of things to God today, maybe that's something else you would just give or I would give. Say, Lord, I, I, I don't want to be the toxic one in the room. I don't want to be the argumentative one. I don't want to be the quick to criticize one. Remove toxicity from my, my own words, God. And if we be honest and open there, I know the Lord will help us. He said, Revelations 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hears my voice and opens the door, Jesus said he'd come in. And that wasn't just salvation. We use it for that, but that's in every area. We open doors where we're toxic, where we're frustrated. Jesus said he'd come in. Jesus said he'd come in and help. And so I pray that, Lord, over those areas. And give us wisdom in our boundaries, Lord. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come. And as, as we're praying, if you've never had a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you've drifted in your relationship with Jesus, and you say, Mike, I need to get reconnected to him. I, I, I need to get right with the Lord. As we're, we're leaving today, come on up and see us. Come on up and see me. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to just help you get started in a, a new relationship with the Lord. And with that, Wednesday nights, we're going to look at some of these things in life groups. Some of the life groups are studying Sundays, and so we'd invite you to come to that. And if not, I'm just going to pray you'd have an awesome week. So, Father, use us, lead us, guide us, and keep us right in our relationships with you and with others, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.